Good morning, everybody. We're uh, doing things a little bit differently today. We're going to do prayer after the sermon, so woo, watch out. Shaking it up. Um, Mark said that I should start my sermon by saying, Lo and behold, I have come down from the mountains to bring you the word of the Lord. Thank you. I, that's not really how I was planning on starting the sermon, but it is funnier than my opening. I'm sorry? I didn't bring any tablets. I am tablet-free. Um, but yes, I have come from the mountains. Thank you, Joe, for asking me to come speak. Um, and if you weren't here the last two weeks and you didn't get a chance to hear Steve or Jen's talk, please go back and listen to them on our website. They are excellent. I just hope I can keep up the very high bar that has been set for me. So... I'm sitting at my computer in my home office in Reisterstown at about 5 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. I had woken early in a mild state of panic. Mark and I had just found out that we had sold our townhouse in Reisterstown in five days for the full asking price, which was a huge praise um, if it weren't for the fact that we would soon have nowhere to live. I had thought that we were doing our due diligence in getting our home ready to sell and that God would use this time to provide something for us. I mean, we had been looking for a home for the better part of five years. Some of you, thanks honey, some of you may remember um, the house that got away in Glendon. We had seen a house that was only like five minutes from where we lived and we had put an offer on it and it was rejected and it just, it wasn't meant to be. Um, and here we were getting ready to go to settlement at the end of August of 2016, and we had no idea where we were going next. In fact, I had called my dad and not so jokingly asked him if we could move in with him if we hadn't found anywhere else because our buyers were kind of insistent that they wanted to be in by the end of the summer. Let me back up just a little bit more. I had the privilege of serving as an elder here at New Hope from 2012 to 2016. And when I look back at that time that I spent in Jason and Mary's living room and then in Joe's living room, I had the pleasure of serving alongside of some of the most godly men and Darcy. Where you at, Darcy? Girl power, uh, and Darcy, the, uh, these men and women that are just some of the most godly and inspiring people that I've ever had the pleasure of serving alongside of. And we were reading this book, The Good and Beautiful God. And at the end of each chapter, we would have these short segments called soul trainings. And there was one that we read that was called Margin. This was a couple years before we even listed our house or anything. So 2013, 2014, somewhere around then. Have you ever read something that was so, like, spot on, in your face, like a huge giant slap that you had no choice but to reread it and wrestle with it and reread it and keep thinking about it? That's how this was for me. And it was only a couple of pages long. It's not a long section at all, but I remember reading this margin soul training and thinking that is my problem right there 
I have no margin in my life. In fact, I might have a deficit of margin. Like, I don't even remember the last time I thought about what margin would look like in my life. My life was stuffed full of everything. I had my family, my business, my networking, my friends, my church obligations, and they were all really, really good things, which is why it was hard for me to say no to any of them. Does this resonate with anybody? I just thought I needed to figure out how to like be more efficient so I could just squeeze more things into a day to figure out how to do all these things that I thought I was supposed to be doing. And I was drowning in my own life. I think before I read this margin soul training, I had no way of articulating this. I knew there was something wrong. I mean, I can't tell you how many people said to me, hey, Kendall, um, how are you doing all of this? Like, how are you doing this? Where are you finding the time? When are you sleeping? Like, I got a lot of questions like that. And I would, like, laugh and look away and, like, say some stupid comment about, oh, I love being busy. Um, It's not really a good thing when people ask you that question over and over again. That means that they're watching you burn the candle at both ends, and they're concerned for you. (laughs) That's why they ask you that. I thought it was like a compliment. It's not a compliment. People were concerned about me. So I was thinking that maybe this new home could be a fresh start, like a do-over. I didn't know BJ Hall was going to be here today, and I'm so glad she is because I kept thinking of my favorite saying of hers, you don't have to live like this. Right? I knew I didn't have to live like this, but I didn't know how to live differently. At the same time that I was struggling with this lack of margin, I was also having this bit of wanderlust. Like, people would talk about traveling, and I had a friend who spent an entire year traveling and working at the same time, and she'd post these pictures, and I mean, it's easy to be envious on social media anyway, but I was looking at all these adventures she was taking and thinking, like daydreaming about just packing everything up and moving to Austin, Texas or something, and I don't know, maybe it was because I had never lived anywhere else, but I just felt this pull to go somewhere. I just knew my soul was aching for a simpler life, for that space, for that margin. The thing is, when you don't have any margin in your life, it's really hard to have joy. What I came, out, came to find out is when you don't have margin, there's no space to reflect on what God's doing in your life. And when you don't have that space to reflect, you don't have space to be grateful to see how God's already working and pouring out blessings. And, and when you're not grateful, and I wasn't being grateful in any meaningful way, the joy tends to suffer. I should have been overflowing with joy and thanksgiving, I had and still have this incredible man as a husband and a partner. I have two beautiful, bright, healthy, sweet little girls. I have my own business. We had food on our table. We had clean water to drink. We had an amazing family and this church home that I was so incredibly grateful for, 
you know, in my head, but again, there was no space to like really let that gratitude for all of those things seep in. Instead, I found myself hovering somewhere between discontentment and despair. And despair is basically the opposite of hope. Despair is that dreadful feeling that nothing will be better than this. Jen ended her passage or her speech, uh, talk last week with Romans 15:13, which was the verse that jumped out at me when I was preparing for this talk. It says, "May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit." You see, hope is a byproduct of joy and peace. When you don't have joy and peace, it's hard to feel hopeful. One quick note. I said before that I found myself between discontentment and despair. I want to clarify what I mean by discontentment before moving on. There are two kinds of discontentment. There's the kind that's rooted in sin, and heaven knows I've struggled with that kind of discontentment. It comes from envy and jealousy and perceiving that somebody else has something that you should have. Social media has done nothing but to make this problem worse. Everywhere we look, someone's going on a better vacation than you. Someone has cuter kids than you. Someone's eating a better breakfast than you, and they're shoving it in your face. But there's a second kind of discontentment that's really different. It's God-honoring, and I'd argue it's holy. It's something that Richard Rohr talks about in this book, Falling Upward. I just read this book about a year ago. Um, I will probably have to read it about 10 more times before I understand half of what he's talking about. It's kind of one of those books. I think I might not be old enough to appreciate it, which probably some of you are like, she looks old enough to be able to understand a book, but I think he has some, some life experiences that I have not yet experienced that I can't really fully appreciate where he is in his walk, but Rohr says there is an inherent and desirous dissatisfaction that both sends and draws us forward, and it comes from an original and radical union with God. I'm going to break that down for you. Here's the gist. We came from God, right? He created us. He sent us down into families. We spend time on this earth. And then the idea is that we go back and we return to him. So it's kind of this like big giant circle. We came from eternity and we're going to return to eternity one day. And this life is kind of the pause in between those two things. So I think when you feel a discontentment that comes from looking at the fallen world around you and wondering why everything is so messed up or why we are so messed up or our relationships are so messed up or why we keep needing to learn the same lesson over and over again, I think that's a holy discontentment. Because what you're longing for is heaven, It's restoration. It's what Jesus came to bring. And we won't experience it in full the side of glory. We're longing for the way that things already are in God's kingdom. 
there's a part of us that was born already with this discontentment kind of implanted inside of us, a longing to return to our true home, our eternal home. And I think sometimes listening to those longings of a holy discontentment is a way of discerning God's will for our lives. So back to that fateful Tuesday morning in July of 2016 at 5 a.m. in my home office. I'm clicking around Facebook. I see this real estate listing that one of Mark's friends from high school had posted. And it's in Oakland, Maryland, which is in Garrett County, uh, which is where Mark grew up. Mark spent his middle and high school years there. Um, it's, and then I click through the website, and something, Holy Spirit, prompted me to put in my price and room requirements. And these pages of listings came up, and the very last one is the house that's on the front of your bulletin. That's our home. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong about Garrett County. I'm just putting that out there now. It's a place that I had been with Mark many times, and I loved vacationing there, but I had mentioned to him more than once that I would never live there. A, because up until like 10 years ago, there was no reliable cell phone service or high-speed internet, and B, it's in the middle of nowhere. I'm a Baltimore gal. I love my Ravens. I love my Orioles. I love culture and ethnic food and diversity and Old Bay Utz potato chips and resurrection beer and burger cookies. Can I get an amen? And so many other things that this quirky city has to offer. Was I really going to give all of that up plus all of you? And yet, my heart stopped when I saw this house listing. I clicked through the photos, and I couldn't believe it. It was like Mark and I had been having a conversation about if we could just build a house, and it had everything that we wanted, and it was this house. So without a whole lot of thinking, I forwarded the listing to Mark, who was still asleep. And he woke up, and he came down to the kitchen, and immediately just said, you know, is this a joke? This is in Garrett County. And it took me several minutes to convince him that I was indeed not joking. And we thought, I said I thought we should go see it. So we called the only realtor we knew in Garrett County. And we made plans to go see the house that very Saturday. We packed the girls in the car and we didn't tell anybody where we were going. Mostly because I really honestly just wanted to get this house out of my system. My, my bet was that I was going to get up there. It wasn't going to be what I thought it was going to be. And that would be that. No more wondering. My realtor asked me, you guys are driving three and a half hours to see a house. Would you like to see some other ones while you're here? I said, no, just this house. So most of you know the way the rest of the story goes. We get to the house, and it's even more beautiful in person. And I knew within minutes of walking into this place that I felt like God had set this place apart for us. It was like he had been waiting this whole time for us to find this house. And it wasn't just the building as beautiful of, of a house as it is. It was this adventure, this opportunity to in, envision entirely new and different life for me and my family and to figure out how everything had gotten to this place. After we moved, Mark kept working for the same Baltimore agency 
that he was already working for. So it wasn't ideal, but he basically spent four days a week down here and then the rest of the time at home for a while um, teleworking. And so I had a lot of time alone in that first six months of living there. And I dropped Juliet off at school. And I was driving home one day, and I was listening to Rob Bell's podcast. And in the same way that that margin soul training hit me, I heard him say, sometimes people make drastic changes in their life in order to reclaim their heart. And it was like God was talking through Rob to me. This huge confirmation that this whole move and this crazy plan was maybe not so crazy. Maybe it was what God had planned for us all along. And in that moment, I felt this immense euphoric joy just radiating radiating out of every pore of my body. And The following months, I spent many mornings on my beautiful porch, sitting outside with my Bible and my journal and a cup of coffee, with tears streaming down my face. They were tears of gratitude. I was really fully, maybe for the first time ever, soaking in all of the things that God had done in my life and had brought me to that point and how just grateful I was to be alive and breathing and sitting on that porch. I had this overwhelming sense that God had saved me from myself. That in a very real way, he had redirected my steps and reclaimed my life. Before this life-changing move, our family was part of a house church at the Reynolds for several years. And during that time, we spent a lot of time studying the Old Testament. We actually picked up where Jason left off when he did his Torah study. And as our group, um, we studied Joshua and then a summary of Judges and then 1st and 2nd Samuel. And it was seriously challenging text, like... Some weeks were super not fun for me to be leading because I knew I wasn't going to be able to answer any of the questions that anybody in the group brought up. Um, But I learned so much during that time, and I still think about it a lot. One observation our group made, and Jen kind of touched on it a little bit last week, is that God's people often built altars after God did something miraculous or when he showed up in a mighty way. God's people wanted a tangible way to commemorate God's love, mercy, and faithfulness. Usually it was as simple as rearranging some stones and giving that place a name, setting it apart as a way to remember. And our house church talked about how we, as God's people now, don't do that enough. When the Lord does something that we know in every fiber of our being was his direct hand, we don't often commemorate it, maybe in the way that we should. And I didn't realize I was doing it at the time, but beginning with the day that we packed our moving truck and drove 200 miles to our new home, I began taking one picture a day. Tristan, would you pull it up? I began taking one picture a day and posting it to my Instagram feed. 
I would capture something different each day, and I did it every single day for a year. And I actually still post, um, but now it's more like every two or three days. But this was my 2016, and you can just go through them, um, 2016 version of making an altar to the God who had been so faithful to me, who had been so good to me, who knew so much better what I needed than I do. And so I could end the sermon there, and you would walk away with all those happy feels and think, that's a nice story, Kendall, um, but that's not real life. Oh, it's a farmer's market. We've gotten to do some really cool stuff. Um, we've lived in Garrett County now. It'll be two years next weekend. Is that right? Two years next weekend. And I still believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was God's will for our family to move there. Our girls are thriving. We have wonderful neighbors. Um, we've made new friends. We've found a new church. We recently began a new house church. Um, Mark is working for me now full time, and God has blessed my company with steady work and new clients. I've gotten to have some really wonderful and unique experiences. Uh, it's just, it's been an adventure and a blessing and really, really challenging. I've had moments of homesickness that were like a deep well of sorrow. Our family misses our immediate family and this family very, very much. We come back a lot, which helps, but it doesn't make those moments easier, especially when winter settles in and stays around for six months. Then, this past winter, a series of things happened in my life that were extremely painful. Some of it was self-inflicted. Some of it was exter external. Um, this isn't the time or place to get into the details of it. But it's been the hardest season I've had since moving to Garrett. And that's the thing about being a follower of Jesus. Um, <laughs> I love that picture so much. Um, that's the thing about being a follower of Jesus. Um, our new pastor, Dave, has said in several recent sermons, just because you're following the will of God doesn't guarantee an easy or pain-free life. In fact, oftentimes it's the opposite. Life is still going to happen. Pain and brokenness due to our sin and this fallen world are going to show up. And it's easy for me to go into a place of doubt and think that maybe I got this whole thing like super wrong. I tend to be harder on myself than probably anyone else is. So when things get tough or when I start struggling with like the same sin again and again, I think, aren't I supposed to be better at like following Christ than this? I'm really bad at this. I really hope no one's paying attention to me. And yet, God keeps teaching me the same lessons. He keeps loving me in spite of myself. He keeps using me, and he keeps redirecting my steps. I'm thankful that God has reclaimed my life and will continue to reclaim my life over and over again. There have been these points in my life when I can look back and say, 
that was God. Like the day that Mark and I found out we were pregnant with Margot. Like the day I started my company. Like the day I walked into a dorm room belonging to a guy named Josh from my youth group and this colorblind designer was sitting on his bed and said hello. Like the day I found the listing for this house. And what gives me hope is that God loves me so much that as long as I continue to become before him with open hands and say that my life is his and his will be done, that he knows so much better for me than I know for myself and he will continue to reclaim my life as long as he chooses to keep me on this earth. And he will do the same for you. I'd suggest creating some margin in your life if you don't have it. I'd suggest being intentional about giving thanks. And finally, coming before God each morning and saying, What today, Lord? And once these bodies and this temporary home has passed away, we won't suffer from holy discontentment. We will experience that wholeness. This world will be restored. Your relationships will be restored. Your own physical and spiritual brokenness will be restored. The things that you have written off as being broken forever, they're not. Our God is a God who reclaims. Let's pray. May the God of hope fill you, my brothers and sisters, with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace and peace.